I think, you know, we have to remember that we're not bound by a certain list or curriculum. We always have to make sure that it's the right fit for our child too. And if we have to change up a book or two, then it's okay. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Chindell, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey everyone, in this episode, we're going to be finishing up our time with Ella from at Schoolhouse Grace on Instagram to talk about reading for older children. If you didn't get a chance to catch the last episode with her, we talked about recitation. Today, though, we're going to be discussing reading for older children. Now, unlike Crystal and I, Ella actually has some older children, so she was able to bring some insights into how to implement this material into daily life that Crystal and I just don't have yet. It was great to have her on the show, and I hope you enjoy it. So, let's dive in. Oh, man. All right. So, chapter eight. Reading for older children. And again, I'm very glad you're here with us because I have younger children. (laughs) And talking about the habit of reading and not doing slipshod habits of reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she starts out with this section. She says, The child who has been taught to read with care and deliberation until he has mastered the words of a limited vocabulary usually does the rest by himself. The attention of his teachers should be fixed on two points, that he acquires the habit of reading and that he does not fall into slipshod habits of reading. Which I, I thought that was interesting that, Children who have who have been taught the basics dive in and they figure it out. And when it happens, it's amazing to witness. I my um my sixth grader teaches me words that I ask him, you know, he uses in his vocabulary, and I say, Well, what does that mean? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, I read it in this and this book. And I'm like, Oh, you must have figured it, you know, figured out the meaning just by um but it's so true. I think that we really underestimate their abilities of figuring vocabulary out. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll come across that in the next few pages mm-hmm. where she talks about how, you know, seeing it multiple times, they really figure out the context of it based on their readings. She does. Well, and that's one of the reasons that reading well-written living books is so important because those those type of books do use a wide vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get comments all the time from friends and family that say, your your children talk different. They, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they use words that normally others don't. And I say, well, that's because they're exposed to these words and they're good words. And yeah. they, they're able to, I think, be very particular about what message they're trying to say because they do have an expanded vocabulary. So they're not limited to just this general word, but they right. can actually you know, say a more detailed word that expresses exactly what they're thinking or feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And I do think reading for older children, you know, she talks, she says, you know, as soon as a child can read at all, he should read for himself and to himself, you know, history, legends, fairy tales, other suitable matter. I think for, for me, that's, I've had, a tricky time with that simply because I have my older two boys are 
phenomenal readers, never an issue. It's been super easy. Now, my third child, who is turning 10 this <laughs> summer, um, <laughs> he, I'm, just, I'm just starting to let go of reading to him because it's come hard for it. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of came hard for him. His mind is full of so many amazing ideas. And he's like I said before, in five places at one time. And it's so hard for him to focus on reading a sentence, let alone tell me what in the world he read. And so it wasn't until I started realizing that, yes, he probably has a different approach to learning as much as I didn't want to admit that. (laughs) But, you know, once I did, it kind of gave me and him a little bit more grace saying, it's okay, you know, we're going to keep reading to you until you get this. And finally, this, I feel like this winter is where he's really grown. And so I think next year, I will probably allow him to do his own readings for his own lessons, but he'll be, you know, let's just say essentially a a fifth grader. And so I just want to encourage others out there that it can take that long. And that's okay, and not to give up. And I'm actually really sad that I'm going to give that give that up, because all these books that I've been reading to him are many of them. It's the first time I'm reading them. Um, <laughs> I was not homeschooled. You had the very you know basic public education. So I'm kind of sad that he's figured out reading. I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I, happy my, <laughs> my son kind of fell into reading and just kind of started doing it. And I was like, wait, wait, you can read now. <laughs> no. What? Um, uh, I guess I, Oh, okay. Here, I, here's a good book. Right. You uh-huh. can read it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say real quick. You brought up, you brought up something that, that I've. So I was, I was homeschooled. I wasn't homeschooled with a, with a Charlotte Mason approach, but I was homeschooled. And one of the things that I've always loved about homeschooling is just like you said about your son, is that if you as, if you're, if you're struggling with something with one of your kids, it's not bad to, to take it slow and to really take time to figure out what's going on. And and if something is, is outside of their ability, it's not bad to wait on it and to, to give it that time. And the, and the, the inverse of that is also true. If you're, if your kid's doing really good at something and he's really, really advanced, then you have the freedom to fly through whatever it is that you're doing. I definitely had friends that we would all joke. People would ask us what grade they're in. We'd be like, well, seventh and sixth and fourth. And, and <laughs> in that other subject, I'm in 10th. And <laughs> like, well, and you know, the people who weren't a part of the homeschool community didn't understand it at all. But to us, it was like, yeah, we're, we're all over the place. We, we do things. We do things the way they make sense to do. Yes. And I think that was the biggest struggle for my, for my third son, because he, he knew that his older brothers, you know, had abilities that he didn't at an earlier time. And so he would say, Oh, but my brothers were reading all these books at this time. How come I'm still not doing it? And it, it really, I think it was a really like emotional thing for him and a very frustrating thing for him. And what finally helped us get over that hump was understood Betsy. Yes. Yes, that book was just amazing, even though it was about a girl. And my boy's very much a boy. But (laughs) he connected with Betsy. And it was so beautiful to see I had like tears because he's like, so mom, wait, I think I'm kind of like her. 
but I'm just good at math and not good at reading. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes. And you see, it was okay. It all turned out okay. And so that book gave, I think, both of us hope. We were just so inspired by it. I love that book. It was just, it was great. We needed it. (laughs) It it was my first time reading it. And it, it's a very precious book. Yes. And how she was so confused when she was like, wait, I'm, I'm in, I'm in fourth grade reading and second grade math and third grade, everything else. And I'm, what grade am I? She's like, well, you're Betsy. You're not a grade, you're Betsy. (laughs) Right. And that's why I, I like the idea of um, forms versus grades. So like in our, in our co-op, we always refer to the students, well, like form two, form one. Mm -hmm. And um, because, you know, as we read Charlotte Mason's work, we see that a child could linger in form one a little bit longer. It's not so much determined by grades, but what is your next ability of what you can do? And it's not so much as by age either, because there's a mix of age there. Exactly. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so with him, it was just, you know, figuring that out, understanding that it was okay. And now that he is doing it, and I'm probably going to have to let go of reading for him because my daughter behind him, she is like, mom, I just want to read my own books. And I've been kind of keeping her back in the way because I'm like, well, we're just going to do you guys together. So they've been together, you know, kind of for their form. Mm -hmm. But so now I'm going to let them both go next year. But I think the next section, Charlotte Mason mm-hmm. talks about reading out loud. I was just going to say that. And <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll still probably definitely have a subject or two that they just read out loud. Well, and it, it even ties back into recitation where where you're developing the skill of reading and the skill of giving life to the words that are on the page. So, so that they are a source of pleasure and worthy of our honor. And a beautiful word deserves to be beautifully said. And, and, and it's, she keeps on going. They're open to this sort of teaching, which is conveyed and not in a lesson, but just, you know, by a little word here or there where, you know, it's just, oh, hey, let's pause at that point or let's, let's do this little thing and just kind of letting them learn. Yeah. Yes. And I think that even, you know, I think we as parents and educators take that upon ourselves too. I have noticed that as I'm learning all about recitation and reading out loud, I have given much more thought to my words and Mm -hmm. how I speak them. And when I read them to be careful to let that last letter of a word be heard, you know, and just really changing my own habits of reading out loud and just taking, you know, taking it slow and making sure that we really have time to think and make that mental image of what we have just read. Well, and I can say this as a professional, that that's a skill that, that will translate to whatever facet of life you move into. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, I'm an engineer and I work behind a desk, but I produce drawings that go out to guys in the field and they have to be able to read the notes that I put on those drawings to know what the design is. And so whether it's me in the office reading out loud or them in the field reading out loud to give instructions to the guys that are under them, you know, reading is reading and reading out loud is so essential to the world that we live in today that the skills that your children are learning right now, those, those skills are invaluable. Mm -hmm. 
So just a, a plug. And I, I know I, I, know I feel Charlotte, like that's kind of also a plug for a liberal education and not what we're doing nowadays with all of the STEM emphasis. Yeah. Where and even they've they've even come dialed that back and be like, no, we need to do steam and arts into that as well. <laughs> and so it it it's like, well, if you just give a liberal education and and do everything, spread the feast. Yeah. Then everything gets covered. Well, and when you when you have the ability to learn. You have the ability to learn. Mm-hmm. You can you can learn those engineering things. And as a student in college, you can learn how to program having never touched a computer before. I mean, I, I was one that I hadn't really done any computer programming until I made it to college. But because I could read, because I could understand things, it wasn't that big of a deal to figure out some form of programming. And if I really wanted to go into computer programming, I could have at that point. Mm-hmm. And that could have been what I did because, well, I, I knew how to read. I knew how to learn. So I don't think the technology and science emphasis we put on things at a young age is as important as things like learning how to read and read out loud mm-hmm. and comprehend what you're reading. I, I think those things are far more important, even for a person who's going to go into a technical career be it a scientist or an engineer or a biologist or, or anything like that, even for, for someone like that, at a young age, having a liberal education, being able to read and understand is far more important than having a, an earlier understanding of how to program. Knowing all the chemistry elements. Yeah. you know, Chemists have the periodic table on their wall. You don't have to have it memorized. It's fine. You just have to be able to know how to read it and interpret it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's my little plug. I, I know Charlotte does that every once in a while. She'll, she'll, she'll sprinkle in the, hey, this will be good for them in the future as well. So mm-hmm. it'll be okay. So there's, there's my little, it'll be okay in the future as well. You're not, you're not depriving your children of technology by not shoving STEM down their throats. Yes, that's a great testimony too. I think a lot of people... I've had a lot of people just ask me too, aren't you worried about your children not being exposed to computers or all this kind of technology? We're a very low tech family. And I say, no, I mean, we all figured it out and technology came later to us. No, I have no fear. I have more fear that they will not be able to convey their ideas, you know, and, or that they won't be able to capture an audience because they don't know how to speak or they're off, you know, it's, or it's an awkward thing for them. So yeah, I'm totally with you. Cool. All right. Well, let's get, let's get back to reading to children. She talks about it being an occasional treat and indulgence allowed before bedtime. For example, we must remember that the natural inertness of the child's mind, give him the habit of being read to, and he will steadily shirk the labor of reading for himself. Indeed, we all like to be spoon-fed our intellectual meat, or we should read and, or we should read and think f- more for ourselves, and be less eager to run after lectures. I feel like this speaks almost directly to audiobooks, where instead of working towards the knowledge found in the paper and reading the physical act of reading, where the the book is just being spoon-fed into the child. Yeah, I think. 
I think there's a place. I mean, I do definitely think it's important to read out loud. We all know the benefits of a family that reads together, mm-hmm. reads out loud. But I, the way we approach that is we leave those more to um, free reads, not that they can't do those free reads by themselves, and they do. But I usually like to choose a free read from whatever list and, you know, do that as a read out loud at bedtime. That's how we approach yeah. that as well. And I think that's a great way to just have family time. I know in Arthur's writing about recitation, he does speak about children being allowed to listen to others read and recite. He says that it's important also for them to hear good recitations, good speaking, good reading, whether it be theater or whether it be poetry or a lecture. So we don't do a lot of audiobooks. It's mostly like a car trip or my daughter, sometimes she'll get into sewing or embroidering Mm. and then she would like to listen to an audiobook while she's doing that. So just recently she listened to Dr. Doolittle, which Mm. isn't necessarily a let's say it is a school book, but not, I mean, not necessarily like a lesson school mm-hmm. book. So then I felt I'm, that's fine with me. You can listen to Dr. Sure. Doolittle while you go. And then she, of course she re- she read it herself, you know, physically after that, <laughs> just for fun. So I think that's where, that's where reading to children comes in is family time before bedtime and also allowing them to hear good speech. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing I was going to say. And and talking about family time, one of the f- one of the unique things we have as homeschoolers, and again, I can I can speak from from experience as a kid, one of the unique things we have as homeschoolers is the ability to do things as a family all together. And one of the things I do remember and and hold on to fondly in my memories is sitting down and listening to mom read stories. First, because some of the stories she would read were beyond my reading ability. But even then, as I got older, it was just fun to, it was fun to listen to mom read and be able to have that shared experience of listening to a story. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I see, I can see where, where, yeah, it does need to be. It can't be everything a child has is read to them when they have the ability to read to themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also something very special about a family reading out loud together. We we used to do that. It was right after lunch. And so we would be reading and mom would fall asleep. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a kid, I was like, I was, I think it was uh, ninth grade. As a kid, I was like, mom, what, why, what? <laughs> and as a mother, I'm going, oh, of course she fell mm-hmm. asleep. It's after <laughs> lunch. She's reading a book and she just falls asleep because that's what happens. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's when my brother and I would get into trouble. <laughs> we learned that early on. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So uh, her next section here is questions on subject matter. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't don't ask the child. Don't be teased with questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it annoys you. Don't do it to them, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we just... I think this kind of is like, we just don't know what's going to pull on their heart or sit with them of our reading. And it's just like, um, I always kind of relate this to reading the Bible too. Like sometimes you read a passage and you got this out of it and another person got Mm -hmm. that out of it because the Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. And he, you know, allows you to 
take what take from the gospel what you need at that time. And come a year later, you might read the same passage and think, oh, you know, and see it in a whole new different way, because now you're ready for that or ready for more. And so I love this section. I love how she says, you know, just allow them to speak what they understood, what they heard, you know, let them narrate what he has, what he has read or some part of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to ask questions, allow them to be discussion questions. Yeah. A, a side issue or a personal view. Mm-hmm. What would you have done in his mm-hmm. place? She has uh, a few zingers in some other ones, but this one here, direct questions on the subject matter of what a child has read are always a mistake. <laughs> well, Just, that's underlined in my book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, the other the other word I like here, she says he enjoys this sort of constructive reproduction, uh, speaking of narration. Oh, sorry, consecutive reproduction, but abominates every question in the nature of a riddle. Abominates. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, that was new when we, when we started doing Charlotte Mason, because you're so tempted to make sure that they heard what you thought was important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that was really hard for me to let go of because I thought, but I think you need to know this. And then it really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then when I was reading, I can't think of where right now, somewhere in her writings that she talks about that, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit guides them and allows them, you know, speaks to them through the readings as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if we're just attacking them with questions about what we think they need to, you know, pull, or maybe it's like this moral that we think you need to understand this moral and they're totally, you know, somewhere else, <laughs> maybe they're not ready for it. And in- instead we're just going to make them hate that story. If we're going to question them on what we thought was important. That reminds me when early on, uh, when we were reading through Aesop's fables with our oldest, the book we had had the had the little moral of the story after mm-hmm. the story, and we were specifically instructed. I think it was through through Ambleside Online. It was specifically instructed: don't read that. Don't read the moral. And having read this now, that makes total sense because it's telling you what to get out of the story, right? Not letting the child pull what they find important out of the story. Yeah, and and the and in the recitation book that I read by Arthur, he actually says, when you get to that part of the moral of Aesop's fables, he says the same thing. Don't read it, but he says instead, as they tell it back to you, see if they will understand the moral and say, oh, I think this is mm-hmm. what was oh. meant. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of neat because. I didn't read that part when I was doing Aesop's fables and I made sure to read the morals. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're important. <laughs> right. Right. But now looking back, but you know, that's good. It's, it's good to see how far we grow in our own yeah. understanding of the philosophy and we can laugh about it. And um, <laughs> I think they're okay. <laughs> well, and I, I think in, in addition to what the Holy spirit has to pull out from a book for that person, you also have, years of thoughts and readings and learning and other information and other things, those those layers upon layers that the children don't have Mm -hmm. because they're not exposed to that yet. And so because I pull out something that applies to me does not mean that they're even going to remotely even see it because it doesn't apply to them. 
Which, again, it's it's fun to read different books at different ages. Or I guess the same book at different ages. Um, I've heard a lot of people do it with Little Women, where, you know, as a, as a child, they <laughs> identify more with, with Joe. And then as a mother, they identify with the mm-hmm. mother. And, and, and so it's... It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Lesson books. Yeah. A child has not begun his education until he has acquired the habit of reading to himself. With interest and pleasure, books fully on a level with his intelligence. And this, I think, goes back to the reading to children and and when you start peeling that back. Because not not every child is of the of the reading level to be able to read those books mm-hmm. that are that are aligned with their level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. And I totally believe this is kind of, you know, um, encourages you to make sure that the books that you choose for your children are not just based off of someone else's idea of where they should be at or a list, mm-hmm. but I think it kind of encourages you to make sure that you check in with your child and see, is this the lo- right level, the right book or whatnot? I think, you know, we have to remember that we're not bound by a certain list or curriculum. We always have to make sure that it's the right fit for our child too. And if we have to change up a book or two, then it's okay. Because, you know, it says that their their lesson books, they have to be able to, you know, understand what they're reading. And so I think this is important here because, again, with my one child who's education comes a little bit differently to I've had to make those adjustments and to think, okay, Mm -hmm. he's, I know this is a really fabulous book, but he is not there for this subject. Mm -hmm. And it'll it'll vary subject by subject. On one subject, he can understand the very hard material because he might just have a deeper understanding of, of the history, let's say, but science might be super overwhelming because of whatever reason, and he needs a book that's a little bit scaled back, and by no means a twaddle book at all, but just at a slightly different Mm -hmm. level. They should be written with literary power. Mm -hmm. And they are books that children can take in ideas and principles from. But detailed processes, lists, and summaries blunt the edge of a child's delicate mind. Therefore, the selection of their first lesson books is a matter of grave importance because it rests with these to give children the idea that knowledge is supremely attractive and that reading is delightful. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, she, she goes on and <laughs> again, you like the first half. I, I, I like the rest. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is becoming a, a thing here. She says, once the habit of reading is lesson books with delight is set up in the child, his education is, well, it's not completed, but it's insured. He will go on for himself in spite of the, the obstructions which school too commonly throws in the way, mm-hmm. which I, I find that also a very subtle zing against, against, against school. schools. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the single reading. So, well, hold on. So, so those are, uh, we're talking about two things here, back to, back to the first or the beginning of this chapter. So we're talking about the habit of reading. Let's see. The two points that he acquires the habit of reading and that he does not fall into slipshod habits. So everything we've been talking to up until this point has been getting the child into the habit of reading. And now we transition to the slipshod habits. And she has two. 
inattention, and careless enunciation. And then again, the habit of attention where you can hear a single reading and be able to narrate that back. Mm -hmm. That that allows for the the perfect attention, the, the habit of attention is being formed. The lessons keep going and they're short and you don't moon over your lessons and mm-hmm. take an hour where it needs to take 10 minutes. And this is this is where a lot of what she's talking about short lessons comes into play. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes or or 15 minutes of fixed attention to get that idea conveyed from their lesson. Yeah, we've really had to come away from completing what was suggested as a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say read chapters one and two, or even read chapter one of such and such book to read 10 minutes of such and such book. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes a chapter can take a lot longer (laughs) if it's, you know, a new concept or just there's just so many things happening and you have to stop and do shorter narrations. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. That made a huge difference for our family. I actually went back and I looked at the PNEU tables and then I went on the delectable education and I had I got their scheduling cards which mm-hmm. I think are just a blessing they're five dollars <laughs> like it's not that big of a deal but they helped because I think a lot of our lessons were getting to be a little bit longer than they should be because I really wanted to finish you know the three pages that we should we should do for the week <laughs> or whatnot and some children can do that and then other ones need a little bit slower pace and that's mm-hmm. okay too So I think the idea of short lessons, the 10 minutes, 15 minutes, the narrations are so much more rich and just um, the attention is there. But I have to say where she writes, you know, if a child is not able to narrate what he has read once, let him not get the notion that he may or that he must read it again. A look of slight regret because there's a gap in his knowledge will convict him. (laughs) I always have to laugh because... I think sometimes when I ask my children to narrate and they kind of look confused, they're like, well, I didn't really get anything. And so then I wonder, do I give them that slight look of, re- you know, um, <laughs> regret and say, well, you missed it, you know, or do I try and explain it to them because then they might miss another part of the story. That's mm-hmm. always been my battle. Yep. I've done both. <laughs> yep. I've done where I, where I say, I'm sorry that you missed that. That was really important. Or I've also said, well, here's an opportunity for me to show you what a good narration looks like. And do the, do the example narration. Oh, no, that's an interesting way to go around it. I I've done, I've done both as well. Cause I, again, it's like, I don't want you to miss this. This is amazing. Yeah. And, and it builds. Or right. It's central to the story. A thing happened that really is going to matter. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Like we are finishing up Pilgrim's Progress, reading the unabridged version. And it's been amazing, but tough. And there's definitely parts where I say, okay, mama's going to narrate this part because Mm -hmm. I can just tell it just went way over your head. But this is such an important part to the story. And they they like that. They'll even say, well, I want you to have a turn at narrating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Crystal's been doing that. You were reading through uh, one of the Robin Hood books, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it's full of the old English language 
And so mm-hmm. depending on what's going on, I, I, I hear it in the other room. She'll, she'll narrate little portions of it just to make sure that, okay, you know that these guys met, they fought, and now they're friends, right? Okay. <laughs> and I'll even like translate into our English. Be like, I don't know, and he smote him. He hit him on the head. He hit him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, th- that just reminded me. I actually do think that, yes, when I was reading back to Arthur's book on good speaking, he does say, he says that a wise teacher, when she is reading to the class, like a fairy tale or a story, and if she's coming across words that she knows her pupils will not understand, she will replace them with words that she knows they will understand mm. and there will be no interruption of the story. So huh. I thought that was really neat because I think sometimes I'm one, when I start on a new journey, I like to stick to rules. Mm-hmm. And then as I get comfortable, I start to you know establish my own rules based on our family's needs. But that was kind of encouraging to read because I thought, well, that's true. We're, we all live in different places even in one country we might use different words for different things and so he says you know a wise teacher will plug in the words that will make sense to the children and without a skip of beat of the story and so I thought okay that gives me a little bit more satisfaction that when I've been doing that it hasn't been wrong <laughs> yep I, that reminds me and this is probably a, a tangent off in left field but that reminds me of the book Uh, The Princess Bride. And I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but there's a, there was a book that was written. So, so it's a, it's a fantastical story, but the, the meat of the story is that it's a, it's a grandfather reading a story to his grandson. And when the guy writes the book, it's the grandson who's writing the book so that, so that others can enjoy this story that his granddad said. And he said, my granddad died and I finally got the book that my granddad would come read to me when I was sick. And so I was so excited to open it up and hmm. read it and re-experience this thing. And he said, I opened this book and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Hmm. It was like, it was a <laughs> bunch of lists and it was histories and packing lists. And this person <laughs> went there and he's like, I, I, th- this wasn't the book that grandpa read to me, but he knew it was. And so it. But grandpa read it on the fly. But grandpa read it on the fly. Oh. He could pull out the the details from all of those things and tell me the story of what happened throughout this history book. So I don't know. That seems like a a stretch, but I don't know. That's that's what I was that's what I was thinking of as as you were talking about that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I I actually find myself doing that a little bit more often than like the Pilgrim's Progress, where there are unusual phrases and. Mm-hmm. You kind of, or even like when we do Shakespeare in our co-op setting, we read the Shakespeare, you know, not the spark notes or anything like that. But once we're done with the reading, I'll go back and we'll say, well, in today's language, this is what this word would have meant. (laughs) Yeah. And the children are like, oh, and they just start laughing because it's usually something silly. Right. Um, It's neat to allow them to experience, to like read you know, word for word, what it is, and then go go back. I think that's a slightly different situation because Shakespeare is a whole different ball game. But <laughs> yeah, we have permission to do that. <laughs> yes. Well, and then you know, again, from personal experience, it's fun as a kid to be able to play with those words. And you know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing outside and reenacting a, 
a battle or whatever to use those big goofy words that sound funny and aren't used at all in common vernacular now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they're great words Mm -hmm. and it's fun to be able to shout them at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that goes into the next point or her next, her second warning here is careless enunciation. Mm-hmm. And she says that it's important that when reading aloud, children should make due use of the vocal organs. And for this reading, or for this reason, a reading lesson should be introduced by two or three simple breathing exercises. Which it sounds like she got that from Arthur Burl. Right. Again, from mm-hmm. our from our friend Arthur Burl. Yeah, he's got a whole chapter on those. So yeah. Lots of different options for those exercises. And then the the pure vowel sounds. The haste, the respect for words, which allows them not to be hastily slurred over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you were saying, finishing the word, having the not not dropping it and all of those things. And she says, you know, hey, even if if you need an operation on your adenoids, adenoids, mm-hmm. I don't know, adenoids, what... adenoids. Okay. there you go. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even if you need an operation for this, then do it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, that was an interesting read too, because for years we've been trying to figure out what to do with my son's adenoids, but that's a whole different side note. So I'm like, oh, so she would have been in favor of getting those <laughs> Not that I need her medical opinion on my son, but <laughs> Well, given given some of her other medical advice that uh she's she's a little behind the times when it comes to some medical things. <laughs> Yes, we've noticed that. But what I took away from this reading is that, again, I think she did pull a lot from Mr. Burrell, but that we do want to make sure that they have proper pronunciation and that we have to guard against, you know, the wrong pronunciation. Mm -hmm. So what I read from Mr. Burrell is he would recommend that as you listen to your student read out loud, whether it be a read aloud or a recitation, you would take note of the words that they mispronounced. So you don't interrupt the lesson by by correcting them, but rather you wait until their reading or reciting is finished. And then you say, well, this is the right way to pronounce this word. Okay. So I feel like, I think you could probably, you know, play it by ear and see what you need to do because sometimes obviously they're stumbling in a word and they're waiting for you to mm-hmm. give them the correct pronunciation. Yeah. And of course I will jump in and give them that. But from my experience, even like in a co-op setting where we have lots of students reading back and forth, if someone says a word incorrectly, but they're continuing to read, I don't, I think it'd be disrespectful to stop them and say, actually, this is how you say this word. And, and then they get flustered and be yeah. like, wait, what, what, where was I? Yeah. Right, exactly. But rather waiting until the end of the reading and saying, let's go back to this word and pronounce it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Well. There we go. Recitation and reading. Yeah. What fun topics. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. So I will say the thing I got out of this, and, and Crystal can attest to this, because as I was reading through this chapter, I was sitting on the couch. And after I got to the end of it, I saw the next chapter headings, chapter nine, the art of narrating. I looked at that mm. and I was like, weren't we just talking about narrating? And I flipped back and I read recitation and I went, oh, recitation and narration are two different things. 
So that's what I got out of these two chapters is that uh, <laughs> recitation is its own thing and it's not just narrating. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how they're both seen as arts. Yeah. You know, recitation is seen as an art. Narration is seen as an art. And I think that's just beautiful because many of us probably don't give much attention to how that's, you know, a whole entity on its own and how we can perfect that and make it beautiful and worthwhile studying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, uh, from a professional side, there's, there's a lot of value to being able to recite a thing in front of other people. Mm -hmm. And I know Mm -hmm. I, I took public speaking classes when I was in college and I give presentations on a regular basis. My job has basically become talking to people on the phone <laughs> and, and so, you know, when I'm in the office, it's not on the phone, it's talking to groups of people and telling them what we're doing and listening to what someone else is telling me and then giving instructions based on that something. And so this whole, you know, the whole, uh, getting information, dis- uh, distilling it and then sending it out to other people is super important and super valuable. So Again, and, and to be able to do it beautifully and clearly. And to be able to do it beautifully and clearly, because especially mm-hmm. as an engineer, there are lots of engineers who can't do it, who, who, who are mm. not elegant or beautiful or clear in their words and, and end up just angering people because they speak, <laughs> they, they speak a different language. So again, even, even if your children or your child will go into a STEM field because you already know that's who they are. This is still super important and super valuable to them as they go throughout their life to be able to listen, comprehend, and then speak intelligently to other people. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. I think that's that's the key, and I and I think we're losing that. And I hear so many examples and stories of, well, I don't really care if my child knows how to speak well because the world is headed, you know, just to coding and emailing and. And so I think this is where we as homeschool educators have an opportunity to shine because our children that we're educating at home and hopefully are instilling great values into, you know, hopefully they will become the speakers of the future yeah. and and bring those ideas forward, unfortunately, to those who didn't, you know, value the skill. Or as as kids weren't taught to value the skill. Because the the thing that I don't want to do is I I don't want to hold it against people who weren't taught that as mm-hmm. as kids because as kids they don't have they they don't have control over their own education for a long time and so so like you said that's that is a that is a great thing as as the homeschooled children to become the ambassadors for those other people because there are a lot of brilliant people who are in the public school system and who are who are, who are being drilled in with, with STEM or anything else and will become brilliant scientists or engineers or anything else. Mm -hmm. But, but they need, they need to be able to communicate. And, and like you said, that's a thing that's lacking in our, in our schools right now. So, yeah, like you said, I think that is a place for our, our, our students, our children to shine in the coming years is, is to, is to be that mediator between people because we, because they'll be able to talk and listen. Yeah. So I, I know, I know we can sometimes get down on, get down on other forms of education. And, and I, I want to, I want to veer away from that and make sure that, 
that the that our peers and their education it, it, it is valuable and it was valuable and that we're all working together towards something better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. So. Well, Ella, thank you so much for joining us for these these chapters. It was a, a lot of fun to talk to with you about them. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. I've had, I had a wonderful evening discussing this. It's it's always fun to, <laughs> to, to talk about Charlotte Mason stuff. It is. Yes. <laughs> it is. I agree. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Because that's where I found you. Yeah. Um, well, right now, my, my presence has mostly been on Instagram. Schoolhouse Grace is the name. Um, and it's been kind of my outlet of sharing and encouraging others in their homeschooling and Charlotte Mason's journeys. So currently working on a blog, but not ready to release it publicly. <laughs> so for right now, we're just going to stick to Instagram and hope for those summer months of productivity mm-hmm. on that. <laughs> well, good luck on that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for, for joining us tonight. Yeah, this was, this has been great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful night. You too. You too. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you.